Hello, and welcome back to ERRX. In part one of two of our Clotbusters mini grand round series, we start by looking at thrombolytic agents used in the setting of pulmonary embolism. I will not be discussing catheter-directed thrombolysis or embolectomy. And then next week, we will wrap it up by discussing the use of these agents in the setting of cardiac arrest. To begin, we first have to define some terms. Per the American Heart Association, a submassive PE is defined as an acute PE without systemic hypotension, but with either right ventricular dysfunction or myocardial necrosis. Massive PE is defined as sustained hypotension, defined as a systolic blood pressure less than 90 for at least 15 minutes or requiring inotropic support, pulselessness, or persistent bradycardia, defined as a heart rate less than 40 with signs and symptoms of shock. Let's also quickly review what clot busters or thrombolytics are and how they work. Since one of the most commonly used agents is TPA or Altaplace, we will focus most of this episode on Altaplace. Also, to be clear, the terms thrombolytic and fibrinolytic can be used interchangeably. Altaplace works by binding to fibrin within a thrombus, then converting the entrapped plasminogen to plasmin. Plasmin, if you remember, is the active form of plasminogen, which works to dissolve the fibrin threads within the thrombus. The cool thing about Altaplace is that it produces limited activation of plasminogen in the absence of fibrin, which is good because it won't activate all of the plasminogen circulating in our bodies, which means we hopefully won't bleed out. First-generation thrombolytics, such as streptokinase and urokinase, are less specific for clot-bound plasminogen, which can cause significant thrombolysis, making them less favorable. As it happens, they are also not available in the U.S. Altaplace is a second-generation thrombolytic, which is, as I mentioned, more specific to clot-targeted plasmin production, reducing the risk of major bleeding. Third-generation thrombolytics such as retoplace and tenecteplase also exist. These agents are only FDA-approved in the setting of STEMI, but tenecteplase in particular has also been used in the setting of PE. These agents have the advantage of longer half-lives, meaning they can be given as quick bolus injections. Per the package insert, Altaplace is FDA-approved for MI with a dose of uh, maximum dose of 100 mg, acute ischemic stroke with a maximum dose of 90 mg given over 60 minutes, as well as acute massive PE at a dose of 100 mg IV over 2 hours. Although several trials support the 100 mg over 2-hour regimen, the optimal regimen has not been well established with other studies showing lower doses given as a bolus having similar efficacy and even less bleeding rates. We'll discuss this dosing controversy later in the episode. In the setting of massive PE, we know that the benefits of thrombolytics generally outweigh the risks, and giving thrombolytics to these patients is recommended in multiple guidelines. In this setting, thrombolytics improve pulmonary artery pressure, oxygenation, pulmonary perfusion, they prevent recurrent PE, and they also reduce mortality. But what about patients with submassive PE? Let's review a few studies that address this patient population. In the 2002 MAPIT-3 trial in 118 patients with submassive PE, Altaplace given at the FDA-approved dose of 100 mg over 2 hours, given as a 10 mg bolus, then 90 mg over 2 hours, 
significantly reduced the composite primary endpoint of mortality or clinical deterioration when compared to patients given placebo. The rates were 11% versus 25% with similar incidence of bleeding. However, there was no absolute difference in mortality alone. Then, in 2012, investigators of the Moppet trial used safe dose alteplase in 62 patients with submassive PE. This dose was a 10 mg bolus, then 40 mg given over 2 hours for patients weighing greater than or equal to 50 kg, and a weight-based dose of 0.5 mg per kilogram given as a 10 mg bolus and then the remainder given over 2 hours in patients weighing less than 50 kg. Now this is very interesting. The authors reasoned that since all alteplase molecules will eventually converge in the lungs, you could give a lower dose. This is not the case in the setting of MI or stroke, where the arteries in those areas only receive up to 15% of total cardiac output and therefore require a higher dose to achieve thrombolysis at their site of action. What they found was a reduction of the composite outcome of pulmonary hypertension and recurrent PE in the alteplase group compared to the placebo group. The rates were 16% versus 63%, with no bleeding in either group. There once again was no absolute difference in mortality between the groups. A third study, the PETHO trial in 2014, actually used tenecteplase in 506 patients and found that death or hemodynamic decompensation was significantly reduced at 2.6% versus 5.6%, but that came at a much higher rate of extracranial and intracranial bleeding. And echoing the two previous studies, there was no difference in mortality itself. I should note that in all three of the studies that I mentioned, the patients in both the thrombolytic group and the placebo group received anticoagulation as a standard of care. So, what do we make of this? Some studies show a benefit of thrombolytics versus anticoagulation alone with no risk of bleeding. Others show benefit but at the risk of higher bleeding rates. It's also interesting and confusing to note that these studies use different agents and different doses of alteplase. Well, what do the guidelines say? Per the 2016 CHEST guidelines, systemic thrombolytics are recommended in the setting of massive PE. This we know. However, in patients with PE not associated with hypotension, aka submassive PE, they recommend against routinely giving thrombolytics. They do add a caveat that in patients with PE who deteriorate after starting anticoagulation but who have not yet developed hypotension and also have a low bleeding risk, they suggest that it is reasonable to give thrombolytics. These are reasonable recommendations as based on individual studies and systematic reviews, thrombolytics in the setting of submassive PE are associated with reductions in combined endpoints of mortality and hemodynamic decompensation, but no overall decrease in mortality. These agents can also increase the risk of bleeding. So overall, thrombolytics can be considered in the setting of submassive PE in a case-by-case basis assuming all of the risks and benefits are discussed, including the review of all contraindications to alteplase use. But, if you do decide to give alteplase, is less more? I won't go into the details, but I will point out studies, both in the setting of submassive and massive PE, that have shown that lower doses of alteplase given as a bolus 
work just as well with lower bleeding rates than the FDA-approved dose of 100 mg over 2 hours. The studies used either Altaplace at a dose of 0.6 mg per kilogram with a maximum dose of 50 mg, given as a bolus, or the authors of these studies just gave 50 mg over 2 hours and compared it to the FDA-approved dose and showed no difference in efficacy, bleeding, or death. One trial even showed lower bleeding rates, especially in lower weight patients. When looking at these and other trials, we can conclude that in the setting of massive and submassive PE, lower doses of Altaplace are safe and effective with potentially less bleeding rates. At my site, for patients with a massive PE who weigh greater than or equal to 70 kilograms, we give 50 milligrams of Altaplace as a bolus, which we can repeat in 15 to 30 minutes if needed. Then patients weighing less than 70 kilograms get the 0.6 milligram per kilogram dose as an IV bolus. This makes administration of Altaplace in this scenario easier, as Altaplace comes in 100 milligram vials and also 50 milligram vials, so we can quickly draw up the bolus dose and have the nurse administer it as an IV push. In the setting of submassive PE, we use the Moppet trial dosing of a 10 milligram bolus followed by 40 milligrams over 2 hours. We also have the option of giving a 100 milligram dose as a 10 milligram bolus, followed by 90 milligrams over two hours, if the critical care team chooses. We use the two-hour extended infusion in submassive PE, as there is less evidence for the bolus dosing regimen in this setting. As always, thank you for your time and thank you for tuning in. Next week, we discuss thrombolytics in the setting of cardiac arrest and wrap it up with our final recommendations.